0: This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and down to the wire. Ah! Sandy Hawley is a horse racing hero, the most successful jockey in Canadian history and a racetrack legend all over North America. His stunning career spanned three decades. He had 31,455 mounts, 6,450 wins, and he captured 18 riding titles, including the Queen's Plate not once, not twice, but four times. And get this, Sandy won six races in one day at Santa Anita Park and seven races all on the same day at Woodbine. So the 70s were good to Sandy Hawley. He led all jockeys in victories in 1970, 72, 73, and 76. In fact, he was the first ever to win 500 races in a single year in 1973, smashing the previous record. Hawley earned millions as a winning jockey and rode the wave of success with grace and dignity. In fact, he earned a reputation for being kind, considerate, polite, and a real gentleman. And to think that it all began in 1966, when then-17-year-old Sandy found his passion, his calling, while he was hot-walking, grooming, and exercising horses at Oshawa's Winfields Farm, the home of Northern Dancer. Desmond Sanford, Sandy Hawley, joins us now in conversation. It is such an honor to have you with us, Sandy.
1: Thank you, Anne. It's great to be with you. Thank you.
0: So let's roll back just a few years to the very first time that you rode a horse. What was that like for you, and how did that come about?
1: Um, well, actually, uh, I didn't really know anything about uh, horse racing uh, until my Uncle Webb, God rest his soul. He, he thought that I was a little guy, and he said, you should think about becoming a jockey. Uh, the only time I'd ever been on a horse is maybe when I was seven, eight, nine years old. I went to a riding stable a couple of times with my dad, and just uh, just rode a riding horse. And <laughs> uh, believe it or not, I was scared to death. But anyway,s I when I when my uncle Webb Bride mentioned to me about becoming a jockey, that sparked my interest, and I thought, Wow, that's that sounds interesting. That's what I want to do. So we finally went to Winfield Farms. Um, I met uh, a trainer there by the name of Duke Campbell. Uh, Mr. Campbell took me under his wing, took me to the racetrack, and I didn't really get to ride my my first horse until maybe six months into working at the racetrack, I was grooming horses and Mr. Campbell used to actually let me ride some of the horses that came back after workouts around the barn bareback. So actually it was probably about, Six or eight months into working at Woodbine, I was 17 years old at the time, before I actually get on my first thoroughbred.
0: And were you able to get over the nerves? Did Duke Campbell help you with that?
1: You know what? He was fantastic. Uh, he ended up becoming like my second father. Uh, he was just tremendous to me, and you know he was he was such a great man, and he was so knowledgeable as well. He came from Western Canada. And he was one of the top trainers at Woodbine for years. He's actually in the Hall of Fame, and the Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame. But he, uh, yeah, he 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 was really instrumental in the success of my career. He took his time with me. Uh, he actually used to take me with the pony on the racetrack with a thoroughbred, just so I, I got comfortable being on a thoroughbred and being on the racetrack. So. Yeah, he was—Duke Campbell was tremendous.
0: Did he teach you to try and communicate with the horse that you were on, Which, whoever it was, you know, in some way, whether it was a physical touch or, or even a verbal conversation with your horse, with your mount?
1: Yes, for sure. Like I say, he used to take me out with the pony, with the thoroughbred, and he used to tell me, Sandy, keep your hands down, keep your hands relaxed. Um, try not to <laughs> make the horse uh, nervous and actually let the no- horse know who the boss is as well. But, uh, you know, slowly but surely, I finally got away from Duke Campbell and the Pony, and I could gallop on my own. I actually learned how to ride in the wintertime at Winfield Farms. And uh, Mr. Campbell used to put me on some of the two-year-olds. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, I got thrown off a lot of times so but I got back on. Uh, two-year-olds sometimes are a little bit feisty. And, you know, they're just learning as well. So it was a good experience, me learning and the two-year-olds learning at the same time.
0: So you mentioned finding a way to let the horse know who's in charge. So a horse is a whole lot bigger than a human being, and in particular a jockey, because jockeys tend to be a little bit smaller in stature. How do you work that out? How do you work out letting this massive, gorgeous creature, that would be the horse, and the amazing jockey that would be you. How do you? How did you let them know you were the boss?
1: Well, actually, horses are, are very smart. Like uh, you know, if you go to a riding stable and you don't know how to ride, they'll try and run back to the barn with you, <laughs> or they'll try and take you off on a tree limb or something like that. So uh, they're very intelligent. So they 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 kind of know who's the boss if you're not under control. Um, I, I think it's just instincts with somebody that knows how to ride, you know, uh, horses uh, can feel it, that you know know how to ride and you can control them. And I I don't know, it's just, um, it's hard to explain, Anne, but I, I think it's just instincts with yourself and with the horse.
0: Sandy, you were the first jockey ever to lead the Canadian standings in a season as an apprentice. Let's talk about the first race that you ever won. What was that like for you?
1: Well, it was, uh, for Duke Campbell and, uh, you know, it was, it was on a Saturday afternoon. It was, it was very exciting. Um, and you know, just, just to be on the racetrack and, and be out there with the other riders was exciting, but to actually get in the winner's circle, you know, with my first winner, that was absolutely tremendous. As I mentioned, it was a Saturday afternoon, the grandstand was packed and it was just very, very exciting.
0: What's it like to be thundering down the home stretch? Can you describe that either as an apprentice jockey or as the winningest jockey that I've ever heard of here in Canada? What's it like thundering down the home stretch?
1: Well, and if you make it to the wire first it's tremendous <laughs> <laughs> um, you know if if you have a horse and you know you're coming down the stretch and the horse responds and and uh, really kind of accelerates and you know, has that strong feeling that uh, hey, we're going to win this race. Especially when when you win, and there's nothing like it when you win. And uh, especially when you get in the winner's circle with the owners and trainers, it's it's just absolutely fantastic. And you know, that's that's one of the things I miss is being in the winner's circle with the, the owners, the trainers, uh, the grooms, the exercise boys. You know, just uh, you know, just being in the winner's circle. That's one of the things that I definitely miss. But coming down that stretch on a third red is uh, very exhilarating.
0: I understand in 1969. So this was before the 70s, which was really owned by you, Sandy Hawley. So in 69, I believe you rode 230 winners, the most that year, by any apprentice jockey in North America. So the hits just keep on coming. I mean, you keep on piling, at the very beginning, these incredible stats.
1: Well, you know what, and uh, Duke Campbell, not only was he very instrumental in me learning how to ride, But he also introduced me to an agent by the name of Colin Wick. And, you know, uh, for the layman, they wouldn't really know what agents do, but agents have a very tough job. They go out and they they find mounts for their riders. And Colin Wick, in my estimation now, uh, he was the best agent ever in Canada. If you ask anybody on the racetrack who is the best agent ever in Canada, they'll they'll say Colin Wick. He had two uh, leading jockeys. In, in Canada before I before he came, became my agent. So I, I think, uh, you know, having Colin Wick on my side and Duke Campbell behind me as well, I could hardly miss Anne.
0: So you've got the best trainer in the world. You've got the best agent in the world. But it comes down to you. What made you a cut above the other jockeys?
1: Well, you know what? Um, Brian Swaddock one time, uh, he, was, he was a great jockey from Woodbine. And he was actually, uh, uh, he was in the, uh, actually, he was a leading rider of Canada one time as well. And he told me, I said, Brian, if you could give me any tips, what tips would you give me? He said, well, you know what? When you go on the racetrack, just pretend you're as good as any other rider out there. Just have lots of confidence. And I'll tell you what, I I remembered that. And also Mm -hmm. Bill Shoemaker, I asked Mr. Shoemaker one time. You know, Sue, if you could give me any tips, what tip would you give me? He said, just be a good passenger. So it means don't hinder the horse. And Brian Swaddock saying, you know, try and be the. uh, just remember that you're as good as any other jockey out there. Those two things really stuck in my mind. And I, I think that really helped me throughout my career.
0: But you were better than every other jockey out there. It was so many victories, so many accolades, so many awards. Can you drill it down and figure out why?
1: You know what? I, I had opportunity. I had a great agent. And if you can get opportunity and get on the right horse at the right time, uh, at one point my agent, he had his pick of pretty well any horse in the backstretch to ride. So and him being the best and, and a great handicapper, he got me on good horses. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have a good horse, uh, you're not going to win the race, And And I got on a lot of good horses, which, uh, you know, I thank the guy up above for that. <laughs> This
0: is in the spotlight, all the things you're talking about, race day and, uh, you know, crossing the wire first and thundering down the home stretch and you're looking like you're going to win. let's talk about the other side of horse racing, and that is the daily, daily grind of training. What is training like? What was it like for you? What did a typical day entail?
1: Well, that's a good question, Ann, because, you know, a lot of people think that you're only on the horse for two minutes. You go in a race and maybe ride seven or eight races that day, so you're just on the horse for uh, two or three minutes, you know, going to the starting gate, coming out of the, out of the gate, riding the race. But there's a lot more to it, uh, like any job, there's a lot more to it than VCI. And for me, um, I used to go for morning workouts, uh, you know, in my early days, I would, I would go out in, in the mornings, I get on five or six horses in the morning, kind of trying to drum up my business for the afternoons. And you would get on these horses in the morning, and chances are you're going to ride that horse in the afternoon. So it was a good thing to go out there to drum up your business, but also get to know the horse uh, that you're going to ride in the afternoon, especially if you haven't ridden that horse before, and uh, give them a good workout. So uh, morning workouts started at 6 o'clock in the morning. They ended ended at 10 o'clock in the morning and sometimes I was there from 6 till 10 o'clock getting on horses. After that, I'd go home and have a little bit of breakfast, or I'd just go to the jockey's room, have a little bit of breakfast there, uh, take maybe an hour power nap, <laughs> get up and be ready for the, for the races. We had to be in the jockey's room by noon hour. The races normally started at 1 o'clock, and then, you know, you ride your eight or nine races, which uh, I rode eight or nine almost every year for my 30-year career. So it uh, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. And also, Anne, when you get on the horse in the paddock, you're on the horse all the way to the starting gate. You ride the race. You pull the horse up. You come back. You're on that horse for at least 20 minutes, each individual horse. So some of them are a little bit rougher to ride than others. So at the end of the day, somebody said, oh, what, what other workouts do you do at the end of the day to stay in shape? <laughs> I said, I went home and went to bed. I was tired.
0: <laughs> I Totally understood. Very quickly, how how did you win six races in one day at Santa Anita Park? Seven races all in the same day at Woodbine. How did you do that?
1: <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, my agent, as I mentioned, is a tremendous agent. He got me on good horses. And it's funny, Ann. you win a couple of races and you go, oh, I'm, I'm having a good day. I, even if the day ended now, I, I've really had a good day, even if you win one race. Where all of a sudden now you've won three races, now you've won four races, now you've won five. It's like what the heck is going on? And I, I think it's it's coming kind of a thing, a kind of a thing where it's like a snowball effect. Uh, you know, you, you get out there and you think you can win any any race that comes up. And that day I, I pretty well did. <laughs> those uh, those I actually, I think I did it twice at Woodbine, and I think I did it twice at Santa Anita, where I won six races twice at Santa Anita and seven races twice at Woodbine, and, you know, it was a tremendous feeling.
0: When we come back, Riders Up, Sandy Hawley's race against time. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line, info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. We are in conversation with famous Canadian jockey Sandy Holly. Sandy, you have so many victories under your belt. The Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont, number one, that t- those titles, that eluded you. Why did that happen, do you think?
1: Well, and, you know, it comes down to, you know, getting on a good horse, the right horse at the right time. I uh, finished second in the Derby a couple of times. I finished second in the Belmont. I finished second in the Preakness as well. And, you know, just having the right horse at the right time. I, I remember the one year that I wrote Golden Act. Uh, Golden Act was against a horse called Spectacular Bid. The Spectacular Bid won the Kentucky Derby. We finished third that year. Golden Ack was the type of horse that came from behind, and I think there were like 18, 20 horses in the race that day, so, you know, had a little bit of traffic trouble coming through, but uh, got up to be third. In the Preakness, we finished second. We finished second behind Secretariat. It was a smaller field, and we didn't have as much traffic to go through. And actually, in the Belmont, we actually beat Spectacular Bid in the Belmont. Uh, We beat him by a neck, and... Unfortunately, there was another horse that hadn't run in the Derby or the Preakness, uh, a horse uh, (laughs) that beat both of us in the Belmont. So it was a little unfortunate that, uh, you know, I finished second, but uh, if uh, if the winner hadn't been in there, it would have been spectacular (laughs) bit going for the Triple Crown.
0: Let's talk about the Queen's Plate. I, as a proud Canadian, love that race. I bet you feel the same way. So you've been spectacularly victorious at the Queen's Plate. To describe that feeling for you, winning the Queen's Plate.
1: Well, as you know, uh, and the Queen's Plate is a Canadian Kentucky Derby for us. And it's just exciting, tremendous to be in. I actually had an opportunity to meet the Queen a couple of times, which was absolutely tremendous. Uh, so it has so much prestige and to be able to be in that race was very exciting. But uh, to be able to have won it four times was uh, absolutely fantastic, and all all four of them were amazing. But uh, you know, I, I just uh, to, just to be in the race and was a tremendous. And to be able to win it four times was fantastic.
0: What do you do or say to the winning horse when you're in the winner's circle? I I watch, and of course I watch on television and and see all the things that you're doing post race and the celebration and the awarding of the cup and so on. But what do you what do you how do you communicate with the horse and what do you communicate to the winning horse to your winning horse?
1: Well, <laughs> yeah you give them a lot of pats on the neck uh you know you you rub their uh you rub their their mane and their head and you know you just it's a tremendous thrill to be in there with them. I know they're tired and they can't wait <laughs> to get back to the barn and and get something to eat but uh you know it's uh it's a, a tremendous feeling and you, you just you know sometimes you hug the horse sometimes you give them a kiss uh, uh give them a rub on the nose after you get off uh but you just uh are so thankful that the horse ran so well.
0: And you probably are anxious to get back to the barn or wherever to have a meal yourself after a big win like that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. At the end of the day, I've been invited many times to, you know, maybe go and have a drink upstairs in the clubhouse or something like that. But um, most of the time I I just went home and had something to eat. And, you know, you're you're up at five o'clock in the morning getting getting ready for morning workouts at six o'clock. So you're pretty tired by the end of the day. You
0: bet. And do you have a, did you have a pre-race ritual?
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I never really thought it was that superstitious, but <laughs> I always had to put my right boot on first. I remember sometimes I'd, uh, you know, you put a little baby powder inside your boots. So, you know, when you sweat, uh, you know, it, it doesn't get too sweaty in there. So I remember putting baby powder in my boots, and sometimes I got to put my left boot on to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, I got to put my right boot on first. <laughs> so I guess I was a little bit superstitious, but that's the only thing in.
0: I want to go to a place that was very difficult for you, but we must talk about it if you're comfortable. You had a cancer diagnosis in the late 80s, melanoma, and you were not given a very good future outlook. How did that happen? What, what were the circumstances and how did you react?
1: Yeah, that was uh, pretty scary. And and I just remember my agent, John DeSantis. Uh, he was he was my agent for three or four years after Colin Wick um, when I moved to California. And John DeSantis and I were riding in Minnesota. And I remember we were at the beach one day and John saw a mole on my back And he said, wow, that that mole in your back doesn't look very good. And, uh, you know, you don't really look at your own back. I never really even thought about it. But when I went home, I was trying to look at my back in the mirror, and then I realized, wow, that mole is kind of black. It's not looking very good. And I told John, I said, John, uh, when I get back to California, I'm going to have it taken care of. So it was another month before I went back to California. I probably should have had it looked at before that but I went to a plastic surgeon, he took the mole off, he sent it away to be analyzed, and I had another week before my biopsy came back. So he just told me to stay out of the sun, use lots of sunscreen and stuff like that. So anyways, I went to Keeneland, Kentucky, and I rode in a stake race, and after the race, there was only one other jockey and myself in the shower, and it was funny, and because he said, oh, what, what's that scar in your back? Because I just had like a little, um, 10 stitches on my back, and I said, oh, I had a mole taken off, and the doctor sent it away to be analyzed, and he, you know, he told me to stay out of the sun. The guy said, well, that wasn't melanoma, was it? And at the time, I didn't even know what melanoma was. And I said, no, he just told me to stay out of the sun, and he said, wow, man, he said, I'm glad it wasn't melanoma, because I had a buddy that had that one time, and he, he was he was dead in two months. Oh. He passed away in two months. I go, wow. So <laughs> now I go back to California, And the the plastic surgeon calls me, he said, I have your biopsy. I went in to see him, and he said, unfortunately, that biopsy came back, uh, malignant melanoma, and it was in its fifth level, Sandy. You're going to have to go to a surgeon right away. So now I'm driving home, and some crazy things go through your head. I'm thinking, well, maybe I only have two months to live, because I remember where the jockey said in the shower. And (laughs) it's crazy, because I'm a big hockey fan, a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And I thought I'm not going to know who's going to win the Stanley Cup this oh. year. But that actually went into my head. But when I got home, I, uh, you know, kind of digested everything. I, I got a hold of a surgeon right away, and I had uh, I ended up having three major surgeries. I had a major surgery on my back where the mole was taken off. Then it actually turned up onto the side of my neck. Uh, about four months later, I had a surgery on my neck, and then I went to my lung and I had a surgery on my lung, and um, I went to a, an oncologist, Dr. Malcolm Mitchell, who started this vaccine, and it was experimental at the time, and I think it really worked on me. And also, I changed my diet. I became macrobiotic for two years, and I was vegetarian for 20 years. I've now incorporated a little bit of meat into my diet. Uh, every once in a while, I don't eat very much meat, but. Uh, Uh, when i do i just eat very small portions so I, i think changing my diet and i think also the vaccine shots saved my life
0: thank god for that i must say so while you were going through all of this where did you find support from the racing community from your family from close friends
1: yeah it's 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 crazy uh you know unfortunately i was going through a divorce at the time but uh you know, my agent John DeSantis uh, and so many friends. I remember when I had both my surgeries. John DeSantis, when I woke up from the surgeries, he was <laughs> he was sleeping in the chair in in the waiting room or in actually my hospital room, and he gave me the uh, the outcome of uh, my surgeries. But, of course, my parents and uh, you know, I, I got so many cards from around the racetrack that uh, you know people were uh, wishing me good wishes and. You know, it's just tremendous to have so many people behind you.
0: And you are alive and well, and we're so grateful for that. If I may share this with, with our listeners, I believe that you are a tender young 72. Is that correct?
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> correct, and yes.
0: And you must feel every day is a blessing after what you went through with the melanoma scare.
1: You know, that's really funny, Anne, because I remember... Sometimes I I get upset with horses, uh, you know, if I thought the horse should have won or something like that. But uh, after that, I, uh, like you say, every day was a blessing. Uh, Every minute, every hour, every time I got on a horse, it was a blessing. Um, You know, sometimes if your plane was delayed when you're flying out somewhere, you get all upset, you know, I'm going to be late or whatever. But I'll tell you what, I just sat back and said, hey, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. you're lucky to be here, so... You know, count your blessings, and and I definitely did. In
0: Sandy, so many honors: the Eclipse Award for Outstanding Jockey in the U.S. after breaking the thoroughbred racing's all-time money-winning record for a single year, the Lou Marsh Trophy, Member of Order of Canada. You were inducted into the Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame, the U.S. National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame, Canada's Sports Hall of Fame, and on and on and so many accolades. Also, incredible career earnings, millions and millions. What does that mean to you after the cancer crisis? Did, did, does did it take a, a different turn having all of those awards and having all of those career winnings and earnings?
1: Well, I've always um, I've always been lucky throughout my career, and I've always seemed to be in the right place at the right time, meeting Duke Campbell, meeting Colin Wick, uh it seemed like going to the right racetracks uh, around North America, uh, right place at the right time so many times. And I was in the right place at the right time when I got the melanoma when I was diagnosed because I think Dr. Malcolm Mitchell saved my life. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I've been so lucky throughout my whole life. Uh, my parents, they always taught me to have manners and stuff like that. So I used those manners when I would go in the paddock and get instructions from the owner and the trainer. Um, you know, I just—I've uh, been very blessed and very, very lucky throughout my whole life. And do you think you were in the right
0: place at the right time when your present-day wife walked into your life?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Karu Tochia Holly now, and she is fantastic. Uh, you know, she, she's a great cook. She's a great wife. She does so many things for me because I'm kind of old school when it comes to computers and all that. Oh, like, she, she takes care of all that stuff with me, uh, for for me as well. When I have to go on Zoom, like, if this was on Zoom, she would have set it all up for me. <laughs> so she's a, she's a tremendous wife, and we met at Keeneland maybe 35 years ago, Keeneland Racetrack in Kentucky, and she was also a thoroughbred jockey for 10 years. Uh, now she's a, a gemologist. She has... Uh, a small jewelry store here in Lexington, and I kind of keep busy going back and forth with her and then doing some honeydew stuff here at home. So <laughs> life is great, Anne. Life is great.
0: It sure sounds like it. And, you know, you do have a reputation for being a, just a fine gentleman. You know, your book in 2005, Ride of a Lifetime, the Sandy Holly story, I'm going to change that title and I'm going to say this has been an interview of a lifetime for me. I can't believe how wonderful you are. (laughs) And i so appreciate your time, your energy, your candid thoughts about your life. And I wish you all the best with your beautiful wife and your great kids and your outstanding career and grandpa, all the best next month.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate appreciate it very much. And, And this is one of my favorite interviews. You did your homework, uh, it's been a fantastic interview and I, I've been, enjoyed it immensely.
0: Oh, and I have too. Thank you, Sandy Holly. My pleasure, Ann. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.